Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, I'm Ellie Perlman with a special edition of Ready to Scale for you today. The first Tuesday of each month, I will be releasing an advanced training session on information like raising capital, creating an effective acquisition process, and more on all things related to being a multifamily syndicator. These recordings are from webinars that I hosted, so you can also jump on my YouTube channel called Ready to Scale Multifamily Investing with Ellie Perlman and watch along if you prefer. In these sessions, you will learn valuable information to help give you a competitive edge and keep your business thriving. Now let's get started. Okay, hi everyone, this is Ellie Perlman and we're gonna start right on time. Welcome to Navigating Multifamily Financing During a Recession. We're gonna have about 30 minutes today and I'm gonna try and breeze through it and go over 20 minutes of content and I wanna leave some time at the end, about five to 10 minutes so that attendees can actually ask questions live. So. From now on, whenever you have a question, please feel free to use the Q&A box and basically ask questions and I'm gonna answer those questions. If you're listening to it on iTunes, then this is also gonna be recorded and we're gonna transform this session into another episode of Ready to Scale. So let's get started. For those of you who don't know me, Again, I'm Ellie Perlman. I am a former lawyer and a former property manager, and I got an MBA degree from MIT School of Management. I'm the founder and CEO of Blue Lake Capital, and I'm a syndicator and a coach of Ready to Scale Mentoring Program. And I own about 2,000 units across the U.S., We basically buy multifamily, we put financing on it, we renovate the units, and then we push rents and increase the income, and then we sell after three to five years. So that's what my company does, pretty straightforward. And today I want to talk to you about financing during COVID, during the recession. Obviously, a lot has changed recently, and that's what we're gonna talk about. So what we're gonna cover today is how debt actually changed during COVID. What are the three most important factors that you should be aware of in case you are buying anything today and need to have, you know, need to put financing on your property and how to apply financing during a major economic downturn. We're gonna talk about all of that. And bonus, I'm gonna give you the link to the top five critical deal components that any passive investor must examine. All right, so we are ready to move forward. Let's start with how have debt terms changed due to COVID-19? And this is an interesting part of our session today 
because I, I've heard a lot of people throughout the years, especially in the past two to three years, people that have been saying, I'm not going to buy anything. I'm just going to wait. There's going to be a recession, a correction, and then I'm going to buy a lot of properties on fire sale. And it's not exactly what's you know happening now. And the reality is that the debt has changed tremendously compared to even two or three months ago. And that's one of the things that you have to take into consideration when you're buying at a recession. I'm not saying don't buy, there are definitely you know, deals out there, but things are changing. So first and foremost, you have some players that are not in the market anymore. So for instance, you have many bridge lenders that are not lending anymore because they're a little bit scared. There's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And that it's kind of in the way of making, you know, good deals if you need a bridge lender. So, you know, I'm a notorious investor when it comes to not touching any bridge loans because I'm very conservative, but a lot of deals only work with bridge debt. And, you know, that's one of the major changes we've seen. There's a lot of lenders that are just sitting on the sidelines. They're not ready to invest yet. Either they're, you know, scared or uncertain about what's going to happen or their money has dried up because they're bringing, basically they're lending money from raising capital from investors and those investors are scared and, or just wanting to sit on the sidelines. So that's one change that we've seen. The second one is that you need to come up with much higher reserves and that's a big, big change. So, so far when we've signed on, on the loan, Every month we would pay the interest rate, you know, every month, like a clock. Usually when you close the deal, you have one, maybe two months of reserves of debt payments. But now the lenders, because there's a lot of uncertainty on their end of the transaction, they want to make sure that you are actually, you will have enough cash flow from the properties to pay for the next year. And so when you're closing deal, they want you to basically close 12 months of payments of reserves, which is basically put in an escrow, an entire year of debt payment in advance. And that really changes the returns because it means that you have to come up with more money up front. But this is one major change that we've never seen before. Another change is that the LTVs, the loan to value, they're much lower. Before COVID, we were looking at 70 to 75% LTV. So on a million dollar purchase price, let's say you only need to have to bring a down payment of $300,000 or $2,500,000 and because 70% of the purchase price was financed. Now we're looking at 55 to 65%. So that's a huge decrease basically in LTV. And again, that affects the returns. So for an example, if there's a deal where you're netting 8% cash on cash and 15% IRR over five years with 75% LTV, when it comes to 55% LTV, those numbers can drop to 5 or 6% cash on cash and 11 to 13% IRR. Just to give you kind of an example of what that can do to basically the returns. So it means that because basically the debt is different, means that we're looking at different returns. And it also means that even deals that are being sold on the market right now at a discount, because the debt is not as good as it was before, now we have a problem. And now basically it makes a lot of deal, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to move forward with a lot of deals. And that's the reality that we live in right now. 
It might change. Hopefully, when the lenders are going to have more clarity about the market, when they're going to see that basically new borrowers are making the debt payments on time, then they might, you know, relax those requirements. But right now, these are the requirements. Now, what are the three most important factors that you should be aware of? And this is good for COVID, pre-COVID, during COVID and post-COVID era. The one thing is forbearance. So basically, you probably heard it a lot, forbearance, you know, it sounds like a dream. You can just hit the pause button and not pay your debt payments for 90 days or three months. But forbearance is something you should be very, very cautious about and only use it if you have absolutely no other way but to pause your debt payments. Because first and foremost, you cannot pay investors at least during the forbearance period. So for 90 days at least, and it could be even longer, if you're a syndicator, you cannot pay your investors. If you're a limited partner or a passive investor, that means that you cannot receive any distributions as long as your investment is on forbearance. And that's a huge, huge problem. The second thing is that if you're basically applying forbearance, you cannot evict non-paying tenants. Now, I'm not going to get into the moral argument whether this is the right thing to do to evict tenants, but I can tell you some of my assets, we didn't do forbearance, but some of my assets are, there are Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. So they're basically, we took agency debt. And if you had agency debt, it basically means that you cannot evict anyone. Now, you cannot evict even those people who did not lose their job and then just decide they don't want to keep paying you rents. You cannot evict them. And with forbearance, you're also exposed to that issue. So those who are not paying, doesn't matter if they lost their jobs or if they have been impacted, you cannot evict them. And that's another thing that you need to take into consideration if you're considering basically looking at forbearance. And, you know, the third thing, it does stain your reputation. The lenders say that it's not going to affect your credit score. But the truth is every deal you're going to do after, you know, COVID and during COVID, I'm certain that the lender is going to ask you, have you applied to a forbearance before? And even though it's not going to affect your credit score, lenders would want to know if you're the type of investor that could not manage your property well and you had forbearance. And this is something that they're going to take into consideration. So if you say yes on future deals, they're going to see you as a riskier borrower. And that means that they're going to have to, you know, maybe increase your interest rate from 3.7 to a fellow investor to 3.8 or 9 because they value you as a riskier borrower and they want to compensate themselves for a higher risk by basically extending a loan to you. So just take that into consideration. Now, the second thing you need to be aware of is special loan requirements. So as we mentioned, there are higher reserves when it comes to debt payments. So it's not only the debt payments that are in escrow, but you can be asked to put a lot more reserves than pre-COVID. And you have to really be careful and read the loan agreement and see if they have any other requirements. They might require you to have more money for CapEx or any other reserves that are basically the bottom line is that you will have to come to the deal to the table with a much larger amount of money. And again, that impacts your returns 
either as a passive investor or as a syndicator. And I have a question here. Can you explain what forbearance means? Is that when you don't pay your mortgage? That's from Janelle. So thank you so much for the question. When I'm talking about forbearance, it basically means that you are pausing on paying your debt payments for 90 days. So for 90 days, you are not making payments to your lender and those payments are being added to the end of your loan term. So if you took a loan for 10 years, now the loan is going to be 10 years and three months because you basically added those payments that you're not making. So if you're pausing on payments for 90 days, then those 90 days of payments are going to be added to the end of the loan term. So it's going to be extended. That's basically what forbearance means. The third thing you need to be aware of is bad boy carve out. And this is something that I actually, you know, it's a misconception that I get all the time. Basically, investors tell me, I mean, I don't understand. The loans are non-recourse. So what's your exposure or, you know, why not sign on the loan? Most loans today are non-recourse. And that means that basically... If you cannot make the debt payments, the lender cannot go after your personal assets. They can only sell the property and whatever they get from the sale of the property, that's going to pay the debt. They can't do anything else. That's non-recourse. And I, you know, my number one advice is never sign on any loan that is a recourse loan. But even though loans are non-recourse, there's always a bad boy carve out. And that means that if the lender finds out that the investor, the syndicator, or if the investor, if if you're not syndicating a deal and this is your asset, if there's a fraud or negligent behavior, then they can go after your assets because then they're applying the bad boy carve out and you are considered to be a bad boy. Now, fraudulent, you know, it's easy to say, you know, I'm going to be a decent investor. I'm not going to steal money from the company, from tenants. That's one thing. The negligent behavior is, I would say, the least clear term because what is a negligent behavior? You know, the lender can basically say, we told you when you closed the deal that we need to see the financials every quarter. You missed one quarter. This is negligent behavior. It could also be, you know, basically you were supposed to work harder to collect money from your tenants and you didn't, and that was easy to do. So you are negligent when it comes to operating the asset. So it's a bit of a broad term. And as a former lawyer, I can tell you that this is the major trap when it comes to bad boy carve out. So that's why even when you sign on the loan and it's non-recourse, there is still some risk that you are taking. And it's very, very important to be aware of and very important to remember, especially during COVID. Now, how to apply for financing during a major economic downturn? When, you know, I started this presentation today, I basically said that a lot of people, I've been hearing that over the years, we're going to start buying when the market is going to turn, when there's going to be a lot of deals. Well, I don't see the people that haven't been buying before COVID, I don't see them starting now. And joining, you know, only when there are fire sales, it might be too late for you. Because lenders, just think about it, they have a certain amount of money they can allocate. Who are they going to work with? They're going to work with those borrowers and those investors and syndicators 
that they've worked with before, that they have a proven track record of actually making payments, of operating properties, of dealing with tenants, they're not going to take a risk if you're a newbie and you're just starting to look around. It's too much of a risk for them. It's simply not going to work. So to qualify for a loan, you basically need to have three things. You have to show that your net worth is equal to the loan amount. If you're looking at a million dollar building in let's say 600,000 is the loan, you need to show the lender that your net worth is $600,000. And that's the first requirement. The second requirement is that you need to show that in addition to your net worth, you have liquidity that is equal to 12 months of debt payments. That's an addition. And you need to show you have experience in buying and operating multifamily properties. Now, you don't have to have all three. What's happening basically is that you take one partner that has experience, but he doesn't have the right you know, net worth and liquidity. And you take a partner with net worth and liquidity and they both sign on the loan. So it doesn't all three, they don't have to, to be with one person. So that's one way of doing it. Another way is basically if you're syndicators, you can basically pay someone else, give them a piece of the general partnership of your fees, but usually it's 5 to 10%, if they are willing to sign on the loan. And again, it's non-recourse, but you do have bad boy carve-out. So if you're considering signing on the loan for someone else because they don't have the right net worth and liquidity, make sure you really trust that person. Because if that person who's managing the asset is going to be fraudulent or negligent, then you might be on the hook to pay the entire loan. So just be aware of that. And again, you're taking a risk and you're being compensated by getting a piece of the general partnership. Now, as I promised, the bonus is the top five critical deal components that any passive investor must examine. I'm a syndicator, but I'm also a passive investor. And I wrote, you can find it on my website, elliperoma.com. On the homepage, I basically wrote a pretty you know, comprehensive guide about what you need to look at when you're considering investing with a syndicator. What are the top five things that you have to look at usually things that are overlooked by investors. So make sure to check it out. It's a free download. And a question I get a lot is, what if I don't qualify? If I don't have experience, but I have the net worth and liquidity, or if I don't have net worth and liquidity, or if I have the net worth and liquidity, but I don't have the experience, or you know, how do I even start speaking with lenders, especially in today's market? And you know, I have a mentoring program called Ready to Scale, and I'm basically teaching I'm giving you the blueprint on how to build your business step-by-step, how to build a syndication business, how to find multifamily properties, how to buy them, how to analyze deals, how to put financing, and how to raise money from investors, and then sell the property after five years. And this is basically, you can see here what the program includes. It's a personal one-on-one mentoring program. I'm also giving you financial analysis guidance so you can basically learn how to underwrite deals, learn everything there is to know about financing, about managing the asset, everything from A to Z, basically about how to buy and finance and run those syndication businesses. And so I have a few questions here. But before I go to the questions, we have an exclusive offer 
we basically offer 10% off from our full price mentoring program. And it's only until the 15th of June. So a question I see here, when we invest with you using our funds in our tax-free retirement funds, such as 401k, will I get taxed on capital gains when you sell the property? So Thomas, that's a really interesting question. Generally speaking, I'm not a CPA and this is not my area of expertise, but when a property is being sold, you should get taxed on capital gains. There's a way around it when you basically use a tax vehicle called 1031 exchange. And you basically, if you take the proceeds from the sale and you reinvest it in another syndication through your 401k, basically you should defer the tax payments as long as you take the profits and you keep reinvesting in more and more and more assets. And so that's one way of doing it. I suggest you speak with your CPA and make sure you know, that this is also working with 401ks. But generally speaking, that's what most of my investors do when the property is sold. They take the money and they reinvest it in a syndication. I have another question. If you bring in another person to qualify for the loan and you include them in the GP, in a general partnership, what percentage do you give them and what fees? Is it around 10% in a GP and 1% fee? So... At Blue Lake, we actually sign on our own loans. We're not bringing external partners. But if you need to bring someone to qualify, if you don't qualify for the loan and you want to bring them, usually what I see in the market is basically that those who sign on a loan are getting 5 to 10% of the GP. Some syndicators are basically charging financing fee. And so you can basically either offer the signers a financing fee or you can give them piece of the GP 5 to 10%. It's usually not both, but it's totally up to you. You can basically offer them portion of the financing fee and a smaller percentage of the GP. It can be maybe 3% of the GP plus, you know, half of the financing fee. You can play around with it. It's, you know, get creative, whatever is acceptable for you and the signer, that's just fine. And by the way, they're called KPs, key principles, because they're the ones who are bringing the capital and they're the ones who, without them, you wouldn't be able to get the, the deal and qualify. So the KPs are getting usually 5 to 10%. I've seen a few cases where the KPs were getting 20%, but these are very, very extreme situations where basically the KP that was brought to the deal somehow last minute the lender found out that they don't qualify or something happened and they had the syndicators had or the investors had to scramble you know last minute and bring someone that does qualify and when you want to have someone coming in and signing within three or five or six days it's kind of a premium service and you will pay more for it and these are the two cases that i've seen someone getting 20 percent of the gp but that's definitely kind of an extreme situation if you have any other questions, we have a few more minutes today, about five more minutes. If you have any more questions, please type them here so I can basically answer them. And I see another question. I like the idea of bringing in a KP. However, how involved do they actually have to get, especially when raising capital and syndicating the potential LPs? Is this frowned upon and wouldn't the LPs want to interview the KP? 
So Nicholas, from my experience, this is not an issue. The KP, usually they just sign on the loan. They do not get involved with managing the asset. They do not get involved with raising capital. The vast majority of KPs are not interested. They're interested in that. They're interested only in signing on the loan and getting their share of the GP. Some KPs, especially if they are already syndicating deals, they can say, you know what? I'm willing to sign on the loan, but only if I'm going to manage the asset, for instance. That could be one thing that they can say. But normally KPs, the key principals, those who are signing on the loan, normally they do not want to get involved in the operations. They trust you and you know your integrity and your experience and track record. They don't want to get involved. Also, normally LPs, the investors they bring, they're not really interested in the KP. Usually they're not. You do have to disclose who is signing on the loan, who are the KPs in the PPM, the private placement memorandum. This is the document that all the investors are signing. But usually they don't really care about the KPs from my experience, from what I've seen around me. They're not really asking to speak with them. Another question I have here, when we invest with you, what kind of security are we buying? What is it called? So that's an interesting question. When it comes to syndication, it's basically, it is a security. Usually there's an LLC and the LLC, it's a brand new company and that LLC limited liability company owns the property. Now let's say we're owning a property called Highland Garden Apartments. So the LLC is going to be called Highland Garden Apartments LLC. And all the investors are basically who are investing in a deal passively, they basically have their own share of the LLC. So let's say they're million shares. And if you basically invested 10% of the equity, you're going to get 10% of those million shares. And so you're basically, it's a security because you're not really owning the property, you own shares of the LLC that owns the property. And that's basically how it works. It's a great vehicle also for protection. And it also allows some investors, if they're interested in selling their shares in the future, if they're not really interested in holding their ownership and their share in the property in the LLC anymore. So that's basically how it works. There are multiple ways. It doesn't have to be LLC. There are multiple ways of creating a syndication. But this is the most common way that I know. So we have a couple more minutes until the end. If you Again, if you have any other questions, let me know. We have time to, for one last question. How are you or the current market structuring their deal with LPs? 6% PREF and what split or what structure? So this is a very interesting question because you have a lot of different structures out there. I can tell you that we always give a PREF. And those of you who don't know, PREF it means when an investor gets a PREF, it means that after we get income from the property, of course, we pay the lender, we pay all the expenses, electricity, etc. Whatever is left, after all the fees have been paid and all the expenses have been paid, before we as the syndicators get anything, the money goes to investors first. Only if there's anything left, then we split the profits. Usually, we give around 7 to 9% PREF, depending on how much, basically, the cash on cash is. And so, usually, so right now, in today's environment, 
you know, before COVID, we were looking at 8 to 9% cash on cash, 15 to 17% IRR. In today's market, we're looking at 7 to 8% cash on cash and 13 to 15% IRR. And I'm happy to answer questions later, you know, why that has changed. But basically, in one sentence, we are much more conservative than we were before. We're not accounting for any rent increases in the first year of the deal. We're not accounting for any renovation in the first year. And so that means that the income is going to be lower than in just a regular year or pre-COVID timing. And that's why the PREF and the cash on cash projections are much lower. Now, usually it's, as I mentioned, it's 7 to 8% PREF with 7 to 8% cash on cash. Then the structure is 30-70 or 75-25. That hasn't changed. And what it means that after investors are being paid their 7 or 8% cash on cash, if there's anything left, then we're splitting it between the investors and the syndicator. It's been split 70-30 or 75-25. And of course, the vast majority goes to the LPs, goes to investors. In addition, there are an interesting kind of new structure where as an investor, you have the choice. Either you are getting slightly higher cash on cash, let's say 9%. So you're getting the cash on cash from the property's income, but you're not getting your share of the sale of the property. And then a second class of investors who are getting slightly lower cash on cash from the income of the property during the hold period could be 7%, let's say, but they are getting their share of the sale of the property after five years, which, you know, could be basically millions of dollars are being distributed amongst fewer number of investors. So that's another format that is available out there in the market. And with that, I want to conclude our session today about financing during COVID. If you have any more questions or if you want to inquire about investing with me or joining my mentoring program, you can email me. My email is here at the screen. You can see it. It's ellie at bluelake-capital.com. And if you want to read more, there's, you know, on the website, ellieperlman.com, I have a lot of free content out there that you can check out and educate yourself about the state of the market, investing in real estate, raising money, analyzing deals. There's a lot of good content out there. I hope you enjoyed today's session. Take care and I'll see you on the next webinar. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.